Good morning. My name's Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, this morning, we're going to be looking at Mary um, in Luke chapter 1. And I wanted to say a few things before we jump in, because I think what we often do as Protestant evangelicals is um, I think we give Mary a bad rap in a way, um, especially some of us maybe who have come out of other traditions and what have you. But the beauty of the text that we're about to jump into this morning is that it presents this woman, this young girl, as a faithful one of God. The words actually say that she's filled with grace. And I want us to wrap our minds around that as we journey through the text this morning. I want to pray really quick because my mind's a little scattered this morning. And, um, and we'll just see what the Lord has for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for um, the wonder of this season, Father, um, as we anticipate your second coming by remembering your first, Lord. And, um, and I just pray now, Lord, that um, as we look into your word, Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, um, convict us of sin, draw us near to yourself, help us to be more and more like your son, Jesus, Father. Um, we love you with all of our hearts. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Um, you were given a bulletin when you came in. It has a brief outline on the right side. And, um, and there's some space for you to take notes. So the Advent season is really interesting because everything around us is, is calling us to rejoice. Everything around us is calling us to celebrate. Every commercial you look at is calling us to get excited. And, and I can't help but imagine that in the midst of all of that peer pressure to celebrate that there's many in here who are probably struggling, um, who don't feel like celebrating, who don't feel like having all sorts of joy bursting out from every single pore of their body. And, and I want to encourage us that as we look at this text this morning, as we look at the mother of our Lord, Mary, that she too, as she was waiting for the coming of her son, before she was visited by the angel Gabriel, was experiencing all sorts of struggle and strife. We have a young girl, probably 12 to 14 years old, living in occupied territory under the thumb of Roman oppression. This wasn't an easy life for anybody. She was probably poor because we know that because when she and Joseph brought Mary to the temple, they offered two turtle doves instead of the normal sacrifice that you would give. This was a provision in the law so that those who did not have were still able to perform the rites that they were called to do under the law of Israel. So we have a woman in the midst of her own Advent season struggling. And we lit the candle peace this morning. And the nature of peace is something that is complete, without crack, in some of what is the most complex and thorny of circumstances. I, I liken this to, um, to when you open up a massive Lego set. I have kids, and, and they're into Legos, right? And you open up this massive Lego set, and there's just separate bags of pieces. And the larger that set gets, the more pieces there are for you to put together. And, and I would describe that as a picture of chaos, right? As, as you spread these pieces out on your kitchen table or floor, however, whatever system you have for putting together a Lego set, there's somewhat of chaos there. But then meticulously you go through it and you put it together, you put it together piece by piece. And then at the end of it, your kid is just so 
thrilled because they have like a Millennium Falcon in Lego form or whatever the case may be in Lego form. And then there's that one time where the younger sibling <laughs> comes into the room because they want to play with that Lego set. And we know that complicated Lego sets are not for playing with. That's not what they're for. They're for displaying something. And that little child wants to play with it. And what happens? It falls on the floor and it breaks into pieces. This complex, thorny situation that brought joy, that brought peace, that brought wonder to the one who built it is now all over the floor. And peace is broken. Peace comes crumbling down. And, and I, I mention this because this is exactly the story of the scriptures. This is the story of our Bibles. That in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And then the following verses talks about how he took the chaos that was formless and void. And he brought it into order, piece by piece. Creating the heavens, creating the earth, separating the waters from the waters. Building this beautiful creation. And as we continue to read through the narrative, we're excited. We're like, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. And Genesis chapter 3 comes in a new player enters the scene and destroys everything. And it's that Lego set falling from the kitchen table onto the floor, just being scattered everywhere, and peace is utterly obliterated. So when we talk about Advent, and we talk about the peace of God, it is a peace that comes as a result of the chaos that came into this world in Genesis chapter 3. And here we see a woman being, a young girl, being the means by which that peace enters into the world. So if you turn with me to, Gen um, to Luke chapter 1, in verse 26 and following, we have a significant amount of ground to cover this morning. And we are going to look and see what the Lord has. So... Here we are, Genesis, um, I keep saying Genesis, I apologize for that. Let me take a drink of water. That'll probably help. All right, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Last week we looked at a different birth announcement, the birth of John the Baptist. And that announcement came in a very different setting than Mary's birth announcement. If you remember, Zechariah was in the temple, sacrificing unto the Lord, praying for the hope of Israel, praying that these things that were promised in times past would come to fruition. And the angel Gabriel appears to him. But here, we shift scenes. And we are in a small town called Nazareth. A small kind of nowhere town, not necessarily a bad place, but not necessarily a place of renown. And 
this is where the angel Gabriel decides to make one of the most significant announcements in human history. This is where the angel Gabriel goes so that the world might hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. A town in Galilee called Nazareth. Outside the center of religious life to deliver the most significant message of human history. So when we think about what it means to be missionary people, when we think about what it means to be people who want to proclaim the good news of Jesus, we need to follow the example that we see laid out for us in Scripture. It's the angel Gabriel who comes down from heaven and goes to Nazareth to proclaim the good news. He deviates from where the center of religious life, the center of political life, the center of cultural life for Israel was. He doesn't go to Jerusalem, which is something everybody would have expected. He goes to Nazareth. And I think as we read this text, it's what Jesus is trying to pull out of us is, is where is he calling us to go outside of what is comfortable, outside of what might make sense. Even thinking about some of the missionary endeavors that are being talked about every Sunday morning as we travel through Advent. These are all opportunities for people to go out, to go and be a light to the world in the same way we see the angel Gabriel doing. And so he makes this announcement, which terrifies the young girl, because remember, she's probably only like 12 to 14 years old. She hears this announcement, and she asks a question in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be? She's not questioning God here. She's literally confused. She doesn't get how this can possibly come to pass. She doesn't understand. Honestly, she doesn't get the biology. She doesn't get the biology. This is much different than what we see in Zechariah's response to the angel. Because Zechariah says, how shall I know this? Because Zechariah is looking for something. Zechariah is looking for a sign. And Pastor Daniel talked about this last week, and he gets a sign. He gets a sign where he is told that he will not be able to speak for the duration of his child's, of his wife's pregnancy. He was looking for a sign. Mary was just confused. One is out of naivety, and naive, I don't know how to say that word, and the other is putting God to the test. So there's a difference here, and I want us to wrap our minds around that difference. And she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And verse 35 goes on, and, and we're just going to kind of track through the story this morning until we land at Mary's song in verse 46, and we'll unpack that a little bit further. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. There's a lot of interesting language as we look through this particular section. The first thing happens, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is a, this is a divine conception that is going to take place for the, for the baby Jesus that we sang about this morning. This is something that's going to be otherworldly that enters into this world. We're already getting hints of that. One, she's a virgin. Two, this is being done through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been an actor on the stage of, of, 
of creation since the very beginning. Remember, it was the Spirit of God who hovered over the face of the deep. And it's the Holy Spirit that is going to cause Mary to conceive a child. And then something else happens here. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Will overshadow you. This language is important because as we look at this particular language throughout the Bible, the time where the divine presence overshadows something happens back in Exodus 40 when the, the divine presence overshadows the tabernacle. This happens also uh, later on in, in Luke during the transfiguration where, where the presence of God, the cloud, overshadows Jesus while he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. So something's going on here that we need to be aware of. Something's happening that, that the author, Luke, is trying to pique our interest as we read. What's going on with this young girl? What is happening with this girl, Mary? This 12 to 14-year-old poor young girl from Nazareth. The Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son. Luke is showing us that Mary, this young girl, betrothed to be married to Joseph, is going to be the place where the very presence of God dwells. The very presence of God dwells. She will be somewhat of a fulfillment of the tabernacle that we see in Exodus chapter 40. This is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. Nestled within her womb is the hope of new creation. And the text goes on. She responds, behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We read about the prophecies that took place in Isaiah. And what we see here as we pick up some language throughout this particular passage is that Isaiah is in the background of this entire section. She will be born, he will be born of a virgin. Here we see that she was a virgin. She calls herself the servant of the Lord. This is a theme lifted right out of the book of Isaiah that has a double meaning. It refers to Israel, and then it also refers to, as we look forward, to Jesus Christ himself, the servant of Israel. Jesus Christ picks up that language, and we see here that Mary is claiming it for herself. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, there's some implications here, right? Because we know that Mary was betrothed to be married to Joseph. Betrothal in the ancient world was a much bigger deal than a simple engagement. You were practically married at this point. And Jewish law said so. This was not something that people toyed with. So the reality is, is that the amount of risk that she was assuming in order to be the tabernacle for Jesus Christ was that she was facing the possibility of, under the Levitical law, being stoned to death. This is a huge deal. 
And mind you, she's 12 to 14 years old. When you were 12 to 14, or some of you are in this room who are 12 to 14, you were no way thinking about anything remotely close to this. When I was 12 to 14 years old, I was just trying to figure out what I was doing on Friday night at 14 and 12. I just wanted to watch Saved by the Bell when I got home. That's it. And she is wrestling with the idea that she's going to have to have a conversation with her husband-to-be, I'm pregnant. What do you mean you're pregnant? Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of turmoil, as we all experience it in our life, what happens is that the treasures of our heart are revealed. They just come right up to the surface. What is it that we truly value? What is it that we truly care for? What is it that moves us? This is something that my wife and I are struggling with right now as we're going through a difficult season. What are we relying upon? And I got to be honest with you, my, my struggle right now is to trust that what God says and what God promises is actually going to come to fruition. And I, I could venture to say that there are many in this room that when, when things start going difficult, you look at God and you say, really? Really? Because you promised X, Y, and Z, and for some reason, that's not what I'm seeing right now. Advent's a time where we anticipate the second coming of Jesus. But in that time between the first and second advent, we are going to struggle. We are going to go through difficult times. And that's when the treasures of our hearts start to bubble up. And what we see here in this response to the angel Gabriel is that Mary's treasure is the consolation of Israel. That's what she cares most for. That's what she values most. As we go through this series, we're going to be looking at different responses to the coming of Jesus. Last week, we saw a tricky response. He was like, ah, I don't buy it. Lord, I don't buy what you're selling. And now we see one filled with grace who says, yes. Whatever you say, Lord. Whatever you say. Let it be to me according to your word. I tossed around even entitling my sermon that, let it be to me according to your word, because I feel like this is the crux of this passage. Whatever you say, God. Yeah, I'm pregnant now. I got to talk to my husband. He might kill me. I don't, I don't mean, I'd venture, most of us probably don't have that in front of us. Like, so-and-so's probably going to kill me. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. But that's what she's got in front of her right now. I can't imagine a girl her age not being even a little bit fearful. There had to have been fear there. There had to have been concern, uncertainty. But she says, whatever you say, God, whatever you say, I'm in. I'm in. Let it be to me according to your word. This is something that I pray would be the cry of our heart individually and even as a church. Lord, what do you have for us? Okay. What do you have for me? Okay. I don't buy it personally. I, I'm honest with you. This is one of the hardest things for me to wrap my mind around. Because the reality is, is that I don't want what is going to happen to me according to God's word. I want something a little bit easier. 
I want something a little bit better. But what Jesus is saying as we read through the scriptures is that the way unto glory is cross-bearing. And what do we see here? Mary is about to pick up her cross and follow. She's about to pick up her cross and follow. And we know the life of Mary. It seems that her husband, something happened to Joseph along the way because he's not really spoken of any time after these first couple of chapters in the Gospels. And then as her son is just in her early 30s, younger than I would be, she has to watch him die upon a cross. She has to watch him being mocked by people. And, and as a father, I know that anytime someone does anything to my child, I'm overwhelmed with just like anger and visceral. And I, and I venture to say that, that a mother's love is a slightly different nuance than it is of a father. There's that like mama bear thing that comes out that... that that like, dads sometimes are like, nah, it's going to be all right. You know, it's going to be all right. Something's going on here. She's following Jesus before Jesus is even on the earth. She's following Jesus. And then we shift gears. Um, section two here, why are you here? It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah, greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So she hears this news, and she runs to Elizabeth's. She runs to her relative's house because she's excited. She wants to tell the news. And, and, I, and I think as we look through this text, I don't think she's running in fear. And, and Pastor Eric and I were talking about this week. It, it really wouldn't make sense because as you look at the response, if someone came into your home and they were running, like if you ever watched a horror movie, right, and they run, um, they're running away from whatever the killer might be and they enter the house, they're usually like huffing and puffing and someone's like, what's wrong? What's going on? What's happening? And that's not what we see. We actually see something a little bit different. We see the baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb and Elizabeth's just like, what are you, what are you doing here? This is great. Let me, let me put out some cake. I have an Entenmann's. Like, like, like. That's what we see happening here. It's, it's not this, oh my goodness, what's going to, like, are you okay, Mary? It's not that. There's, there's somewhat of a, of a sense of peace in this home. There's, there's joy in this home. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And even John in utero is just overwhelmed with excitement that his Lord is present. His Lord is present. I don't want to go into it, but, but, but Scripture right here just tells us that the clear teaching that life does begin at conception. Like, we see that here, and, and I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on that. I just want us to notice that, that in, in the birth narratives themselves, we see that, that God values life, that God sees it as, as one of the most important things. John leaps for joy. And then Elizabeth cries out, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. We talked a lot about blessing, if you remember, in the Sermon on the Mount series. And here we have two forms of blessing show up in this passage. The first one, in verse 42, as Elizabeth is speaking, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, is that blessing that comes down from God. It's that God blessing. That, that the, the Greek word is eulogia. 
But then, as we travel along in the text, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came my ear, to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Here we have that beatitude blessing in verse 45. That blessing that comes when we live our lives in accordance with the structure that God has set up for us. And as we live that life, that wisdom, that wisdom-filled life, what do we experience? We experience human flourishing. We experience the very thing that God was calling Adam and Eve to experience as they walked in the garden. And that's what we see here. And what is she, why is she blessed? Why is she experiencing it? Because she believed. Because she believed. Mary's an incredible woman. Mary is a woman that we all should look to as a model of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be a child of God. She believed. She believed. And what did she believe? She believed in the promise that was given to her. And those of us sitting out here struggling with unbelief right now that God is going to meet you where you are, struggling in the midst of whatever difficulty you might be encountering, Mary shows us that it is faith that enables us to walk through the most difficult of storms. It's faith. And it's faith in something. It's not just this scattered faith. Like if I just have faith, it's faith in the promise that Jesus is who he says he is. It's faith in the promise that God is going to care for his children. And we don't know what that care looks like all the time. In fact, the care for Mary was that her son died at age 30-something. That's the kind of care that the father gave to Mary. But no matter what it is, no matter what it is that we're walking through, Jesus is calling us to believe, to trust him to submit ourselves to him. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. I'm kind of rewriting my entire sermon as I preach just because life's a little hectic right now. And, and I had a bunch of things written down that I was going to say. And, and I feel like I haven't said most of them. But, but what I want us to walk away from this morning is I want us to understand that Jesus Christ means what he says. And that as we follow him, he will sustain us regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances. The text moves on as Mary responds to the question, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This is a section of scripture that has been famously referred to as the Magnificat. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it like this in talking about the Magnificat. He says, this song of Mary's is the oldest Advent hymn. I think I have a slide for this one. It is the most passionate, most vehement, one might almost say most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. It is not the sweet, gentle, dreamy Mary that we so often see portrayed in pictures, but the passionate, powerful, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks here. None of the sweet, sugary, or childish tones that we find so often in our Christmas hymns, but a hard, strong, uncompromising song of bringing down rulers from their thrones and humbling the lords of this world of God's power and of the powerlessness of men. 
Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. This first section of the Magnificat deals with the personal nature of Mary's heart right now. God has looked upon me in my humble estate. God has looked upon me in the midst of the struggle that I have been going through. God has looked upon me, the humble estate of his servant. And then, and then, she, then she exalts the Lord. She says, for behold, in verse 48, from now on all generations will call me blessed. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those. And then he, she starts to shift now, right? It's all about her. And then she shifts. For those, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, now it's starting to get a little bit wider. It's not only for her that this blessing and mercy rains down upon, but it is actually for all who submit their lives to the king. For all who bend their knee to Jesus, he will care for them. And his mercy will be lavished upon them. Here now, she's speaking of us. She's speaking of God's people as we sit here some 2,000 years later. That those of us who fear God, who put our trust in God, he will lavish mercy upon us. And that mercy doesn't always look like joy and, and Christmas lights and wreaths and, and poinsettias and red bows. But I tell you, it is good. It's good. And again, I'm preaching to myself right now because I need to believe that it's good. It's good. And then she goes on. Because remember where she's seated. She's under Roman rule. She is living the very thing that she knows is not how it's supposed to be. As a child of Israel, she knows this isn't what she's called to be. She knows that her people are meant for more. So then it says this in verse 51 and following, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty ones from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. It's interesting that servant kind of frames this whole section. She is the servant of the Lord. Israel is the servant of the Lord. She has housed within her womb the servant of the Lord that is going to do the very thing that she is praying for. She, he is going to be the one that brings the mighty down from their thrones, that exalts those of humble estate, that fills the hungry with good things. He's going to be the one that sends the rich away empty, and he's going to be the one that ultimately helps his servant Israel. He's going to be the one. He is going to do the very things that he promised. And in the interim, we are called to be the means by which he does these things in the world today. That every time we feed someone who is hungry, every time we give to the needy, every time we provide help to those who are suffering, we are subverting the principalities and powers of this world. Every time we step out in faith to love our neighbor, to share in the life of Christ by loving God and loving neighbor, we are subverting the powers and principalities that are trying to rule this world. Every time we do it. See, 
the means by which God is going to change the world is through humility. We see that in Philippians chapter 2. We see that as though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took the form of a servant. God is calling his people to step out in faith into those most difficult situations to be a source of hope, to be a source of joy, to be a source of peace where all those things do not exist. And while we might not be able to change the whole world because that's coming at the end, we certainly can play a part in changing this world right here in Tom's River, this world right here at Redeemer Fellowship, this world within your community groups, this world within your families, whatever the struggles might be. God's calling us to be a people on mission so that the world might change, your world, our world. He wants things to be different, and he's given us the keys to do it. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead, we have. He's calling us to step into it. And in the same way Mary walked the earth, pregnant, struggling if she's going to tell her husband that she might be facing certain death, we too are walking in the midst of a wicked and crooked generation. And he's calling us to proclaim hope, to proclaim peace, to proclaim joy, to proclaim the king of kings seated on the throne. This is what it means to wait for the coming of Jesus. We don't passively wait for the coming of Jesus. He's calling us to wait actively, serving those wherever we might find them. The interesting thing about this whole section is that it talks about the rich being sent away, the powerful being brought down, is that it's spoken of grammatically in the sense that as as if it's already happened. In the mind of God, these things have already happened. In the heart of Mary, these things have already happened. And the challenge for us is that whatever it is that we're going through, as it unearths those treasures, do we believe that already we have been seated in the heavenly places, that already We are glorified with Christ. That already the powers, the systems, the structures that hold us down, that frustrate us, that mess with every single thing that we're trying to accomplish, already those things have been upended and subverted in the mind and heart of God. The reality of the world is that Jesus is king, even though it doesn't seem that way often. And that's on a global scale, and that's on a personal level as well. It often seems like Jesus isn't seated on the throne, but I promise you, Redeemer, he is seated on the throne. He is ruling over all of creation. He is ruling over every single circumstance that you are engaged in right now. Every single one. So, we look back at the first coming of Christ, and we see how Mary responded. But we also look forward to the second coming of Christ, and Mary's response serves as a model for us that we too would open ourselves up to be used by God for whatever it is that he has for us the powers and principalities of this world of our world right here in Tom's River they're upended when we step into the pain and messiness of it all in the same way Jesus through the incarnation stepped into this world we are called to go and do likewise and so as you come to the table this morning consider the treasure of your heart Allow the words of Mary to penetrate and change you. 
The Advent season calls us to more than Christmas lights and hot chocolate, even though we have those mugs. <laughs> it serves as a reminder that the powers and principalities are still at work in this world. And that God continues to use the weakness of humanity to tear down the Herods and Caesars of this world until the final day when all is set right by Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for just the wonder of your word and the even grander wonder of your son, Jesus. I thank you for Mary. I thank you for her story. I thank you for what she means to the church, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that as we come to the table this morning, Father, that you would, you would shake us up a little bit, Lord, that you would remind us that we truly are yours, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of whatever it is that we might be going through. So, Father, be with us now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.